Hello, this is Landon. Hello, this is Monique, and I have somebody here with me today. Hi, I'm Monique's mom, Teresa McLaughlin. Yay, we're coming from the original Kitchen of Knowledge in White Rock at my mom's house. The original Kitchen of Knowledge. Did you teach? Right. You, you taught Monique everything she knows, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and more. And more. And more. <laughs> but she likes to tell me that, uh, what did I get from you? The love of talking? I think so. The storytelling. He's very good at storytelling. Yeah. So am I. That's true. But what do you yeah. say? I talk too much, right? I talk too much. Yeah. Not you. No, both of us talk a little too much. <laughs> okay, Mom. Okay. Thank you. And yeah. notice I haven't got a word in edgewise. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> true. True. <laughs> true. Okay. All right. Well, this month we are going to talk to you about Well, what's in the news, actually, we've been in the news probably every day for the last little bit, is um, Narcan. Narcan. So part of the issue... Well, overdoses. Well, of course, drug overdoses. And the use of Narcan. Exactly. So a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking to a young 20-year-old girl who had recently attended a music festival here in British Columbia and wasn't feeling right. Had a lack of appetite, nausea, and just felt kind of tired. And she told me that she had a bit of molly during the festival... But she didn't think that had anything to do with it. Of course not. Well, Landon is constantly commenting on how old I am. Because you are. (laughs) But at the moment, at that moment, I did feel a bit old as I asked her what her friend Molly had to do with anything. Uh, Okay, for those of you who are in the know, Molly is a slang for ecstasy or MDMA. But I think what probably worried me the most was this young lady's lack of concern and perhaps lack of knowledge about the dangers of drug use. She did admit that she had taken more than usual, and it was given to her by a friend of a friend, which is so reliable. That's a reliable source, isn't it? I guess the worry for me is despite the fact that there has been so much on the news about drug overdoses, and not to mention the most recent death of Prince on fentanyl overdosing, People still have this nonchalant attitude that it couldn't happen to them or that the trip is worth the danger. I've heard recently on the news somebody called the overdose deaths in BC our Ebola crisis, which frankly, we're probably more likely to see than Ebola itself. But just to put things into a bit of a context, in April of 2016, the BC Chief Health Officer, Dr. Perry Kendall, declared the number of drug overdose deaths in recent months a public health emergency. Now, you right, might... and we're we're coming from a British Columbia perspective. Exactly, this is not a British Columbia problem. No, but, it isn't. But obviously, we're from British Columbia, so we we experience the BC side of it, and exactly. lots of the rest of you, I'm sure, are hearing from your public health people as well of of these sorts of things. And we will talk a little bit about it globally. But I think what's interesting for me is when they declare this a public health emergency, understanding that this type of declaration is usually reserved for a a contagious disease outbreak and it was the first time in canada that such a declaration has been made for a non-contagious non-contagious illness illness. but in bc so i only know the bc stats at the moment in the first three months of 2016 there were over 200 overdose deaths in bc and if this rate continues they're predicting that the number would reach 800 by the end of the year In fact, that number or overdose deaths have actually overtaken deaths by motor vehicle crashes. And in Vancouver, so not even including Surrey and some of the northern kind of communities, in Vancouver alone, it's about one death in every five days. 
Now, from an administrative management point of view, by declaring this to be a public health emergency, it means that all of us, first responders, emergency department staff, and the BC Coroner Service will provide the time and place of overdose, which drug was used, how it was taken, along with the age and sex of the patient. And that's fairly live. That's it is. very quick data as opposed to analyzing it months down the road. Not at all. Yeah. And what happens is that the BC Centre for Disease Control then kind of compiles it and then makes it public. And part of the reason we're trying to do this this quickly is that we can target where the danger zones are, where the hot spots are, where we should be aiming our harm reduction strategies, opiate substitution programs like methadone, safe injection sites, distribution of antidote kits, etc. And there are a couple of harm reduction programs out there right now. And for those of you who are interested, uh, we'll put them up on our website, but it's Know Your Source and Toward the Heart. I do feel that as healthcare professionals, it is important now not only to be doing our part at the bedside, but to also be knowledgeable and supportive as part of a larger healthcare community to promote and be involved in health promotion, harm reduction, and everything. And this this system actually got tested just a couple of weeks ago um, when there were, I think, 20-some overdoses in a community east of Vancouver called Surrey in one night. And mm. the next morning, by about 8 in the morning, there were notices from their health authority uh, meant intended for the drug users of course they came to all the health providers as well and, and the the message really isn't don't do drugs because no. they are going to anyway exactly. and this is the harm reduction side is know who you're getting them from there's bad stuff going around and uh, it was a one-page poster and it plaster it was plastered everywhere for that weekend yeah um, it's pretty amazing actually and it is important when we think about harm reduction but perhaps we should get back to the bedside and let's talk a little bit about the assessment, intervention and evaluation of narcotic overdoses, particularly fentanyl and the use of Narcan. The reason why we're talking specifically about fentanyl, which is an opiate that is 100 times more powerful than morphine, is that it has been associated with over a third of all overdose deaths here in BC. Some users are taking stolen fentanyl dermal patches. Others smoke a gel foam, uh, form of the drug, but many overdoses are the results of unknowingly taking fentanyl and drugs that have been laced with it by the supplier to make them more powerful. The problem is when you're buying these things, it isn't, they don't have, you know, criteria it's not, it's about what they... not a very they, regulated no, industry, Not at is all. It? No. Yeah, exactly. The biggest uh, proponent um, that they've discovered is these greenish pills and they're actually supposed to be Oxycontin, 80 milligram tablets, but that is actually what they're seeing a lot of fentanyl mixed in with that, and it is the potentially fatal drug. Now, that's a Vancouver-specific Specific thing. drug, so absolutely. So don't be saying don't that... Don't take that to Toronto and, no, and absolutely be academic not. about it. You'll have yeah. your own thing, but that's a Vancouver thing But fentanyl thing right now. is definitely infusing into the drug. Right, but the greenish pill, Oxy, no, exactly. that's a Vancouver thing right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And even the Vancouver Police Department Chief Adam Palmer told us that it's not just the heroin and cocaine and some of the higher drugs. It is fentanyl is actually being found in club drugs and in ecstasy and all and all types of drugs that people from all walks of life. So we're not just seeing our kind of um, risk population in the downtown east side in Vancouver, but we're seeing people from North Van, uh, people Absolutely. who have lots of different socioeconomic party, groups. The party crowd doing exactly. some ecstasy and 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 ecstasy should not render you unconscious no it and should so not then, and, and their friends aren't expecting them to become unconscious so then when they disappear for an hour they think oh well just went to bed because exactly. you ecstasy wouldn't typically be an unconscious drug no. and then they're found dead because exactly. it was laced with fentanyl and 
So that's why it's not the typical group that we're seeing, which is why it's a public health emergency. So taking it a little bit more globally, um, the World Health Organization has estimated 69,000 people worldwide die from an opiate overdose each year. And there are 15 million people who suffer from opiate dependency. Wow. So back to the basics about opiate, and I'm going to kind of let Landon have his geek out moment. And so here you go, Landon. All right. So some simple facts. Opioids are substances derived from the opium poppy or synthetic analogs of the same sort with similar effects. So the uh, the drug names that you may have heard, morphine, uh, heroin, tramadol, oxycodone, methadone, and fentanyl, obviously. Exactly, yeah. And, and it's important that we start terming these properly and call them opioids. Mm-hmm. Um, law enforcement, actually, the, the, the Canada, the Narcotic Control Act of Canada, describes the term narcotic as anything that is a scheduled drug that uh, requires some sort of uh, security to hold. So we use narcotics in the term in healthcare as talking about opioids. Law enforcement and, and customs immigration, they use narcotic as the banned substances. And right. so marijuana to them is a narcotic. And so we, we should start using the right terms and calling these opioids. Mm-hmm. You, you've probably heard of this one called W18, which got a little bit of flashiness earlier this year. And this is yet again another synthetic opioid that they make. And the claim was it was 10,000 times more powerful than morphine and you know, do your research on that. And, and I encourage you to just kind of Google W18 effects and, and that kind of thing. Lots of websites come up, but they've kind of scaled back on the, the whole 10,000 times more powerful because well, there's actually no way to research it yet because they aren't quite sure what W18 even is. <laughs> uh, so, and, and that W18 compound has actually been around since the 70s. So they're maybe seeing it in, in some drugs, but maybe not always. And again, at the bedside, who cares? You're, exactly. you're going to see someone who is opioid intoxicated or overdose, and that's what you're going to go with. Uh, so activation of the opioid receptors results in inhibition of synaptic neurotransmission in the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. So the opioids bind to and enhance neurotransmission at three major classes of opioid receptors. The physiologic effects of opioids are mediated primarily through the mu and kappa receptors in the central nervous system and the periphery. Mu receptor effects include analgesia, euphoria, respiratory depression, and meiosis. And the kappa receptor effects include analgesia, meiosis, respiratory depression, and sedation. You can kind of see why people would want to use this, right? With the euphoria and uh, that kind of pain. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And the meiosis. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) So two other opiate receptors that mediate the effects of certain opiates include sigma and delta sites. Sigma receptors mediate dysphoria, hallucinations, and psychosis. Delta receptor agonism results in euphoria, analgesia, and seizures. So the opioid antagonists, and when we say opioid agonist, those are the drug, the opioid antagonist is what counteracts that. So that is naloxone or Narcan being the trade name. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nalmaphene, which I have never heard of nor seen in Canada. And naltrexone, which I have heard of, but I I have never worked in a place that has it on formulary. So those antagonize the effects of all four opiate receptors. Mm -hmm. But we'll talk a little more about that later. Isn't it weird that all of the university kind of frats are all called like kappa 
Isn't that funny? It's like Kappa and what other ones are there? Sigma, Delta. Funny, strange, isn't it? Yeah, it's Greek. I know, but it's just it's interesting. I just thought it was interesting. It hit me that it's party drugs and then it's got all these different things. I'm sorry. It just made me, it just came into my head. I'm, and I'm, I'm doing what my mother has done. I'm talking too much. So let's just kind of go I'm back I'm rendered there. half speechless I'm, right now. <laughs> But I do think one if of the If you were part of a fraternity, do not write us letters. <laughs> exactly. I apologize immediately. I'm not saying that you're right. abusing opiates, opioids at all. Dear me. I think, I think that one of the misconceptions is that opioids eliminate or reduce painful stimulus, which it, it doesn't. It actually yeah. just masks um, the perception, perception of the pain. Yeah. So the GI tract and respiratory mucosa provide easy absorption for most opioids. Peak effects generally reached within 10 minutes with IV, 10 to 15 for uh, nasal, so up the nose, 30 to 45 with IM, or 90 minutes orally, two to four hours after dermal application. So you can kind of see the faster it gets into the circulation, the faster it works. Mm -hmm. Following therapeutic doses, most absorption occurs in the small intestine. Toxic doses may have delayed absorption because of delayed gastric emptying and slowed gut motility. So it's kind of, you take it, it slows everything down, and so it gets absorbed slower. So yeah. you may have a, a delayed a, a effect, delayed right? effect yeah. which we'll talk about as well later. Most opioids are metabolized by the liver and excreted in the urine. Certain opioids, fentanyl and buprenorphine, which again, I don't think we use in Canada. No, I don't think uh, we do. Are more lipid soluble and can be stored in the fatty tissues of the body, which means that they can hang around a little longer. So if you suddenly take too much of one of these, it stores it in fat cells. And then when the serum level goes down, it can bring it back out of the fat cells. So again, you can sort of see this longer term. And I think that's important with fentanyl because most of us who use fentanyl in our clinical work know fentanyl is, a, oh, well, it's there and then it's gone in five minutes. Yeah. And a fentanyl overdose won't be gone in five minutes. No. And some people have trouble connecting those exactly. as to why. So this is one of the many reasons why. You also have to be careful with patients with liver disease because impaired liver metabolism will yeah. mean they stick around for longer uh, and can accumulate. And because they're excreted in the urine, impaired renal function can also lead to toxic effects. So what do we mean by... It's important that we use the right terms again. And mm -hmm. so opioid intoxication yeah. is intoxication. Yeah. And opioid overdose is when you combine uh, three of these signs and symptoms, right. the opioid overdose triad. And that is pinpoint pupils, unconsciousness, and sorry, Res respiratory depression. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then all of the unconsciousness, airway, respiratory depression thing, progressing to cardiac arrest. Exactly. And so... It's just important to separate those two. I think it is too. Because it's not all overdoses. And it's important when we listen to things in the media that we understand that overdose and intoxication are two different things. Absolutely. And so those that kind of triad is important for us to remember right. is that's what we see, that's what we need to recognize. And then we have to think about how do we manage those opioid overdoses. Now, there is a really good best practice guideline in the British Medical Journal. It was just updated in May of 2016. And really, step one seems almost something that we would just take for granted is really managing their airway and breathing. We've talked about respiratory depression and ventilatory support is the most important intervention and may be life-saving all on its own. We should get patients ventilated with 100% oxygen prior to administration of naloxetine or Excuse me, did I just say that? 
I don't even know what drug that is. Naloxetine. I know. I'm sorry. Naloxone. The, the makers of Narcan are <laughs> going to name their next drug Naloxone. I know. Naloxone to decrease the likelihood of a precipitation of an acute lung injury, which may be associated with reversal in the presence of hypercarbia. So what we're really talking about is patients who maybe have been down for a long time and then may be hypercarbic, and then we give them Narcan before giving them oxygen, and they may actually end up with an acute lung injury. So definitely manage your airway and breathing. And I think, can I just interject yeah, there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's such a fundamental concept, especially you know, in our jurisdiction, everyone's getting Narcan now, including the users and yeah. their families and the fire departments and the paramedics. Anyone's able to give Narcan now, and, and we sometimes lose focus when we have a trendy new toy. Right. And the reality is you can just breathe for them and not give them Narcan mm-hmm. and you are still treating the problem. Exactly. The Narcan just means you won't have to use the bag valve mask for as long. But the Narcan doesn't save their life. No. Breathing I'm... again does. And <laughs> yeah. let's breathe for them and then give them Narcan. And I'll be honest, there are patients in my paramedic career where I don't give them Narcan because I'm scared to wake them up. Because right. you look at them and it's me in the back of an ambulance by myself. So I'll just ventilate them to the hospital. And I think that that's not a bad issue, especially as as we've said, if they've been down a long time, it's not just about getting somebody back breathing again, but we want them to actually have a good quality, Yeah. yeah, good quality of care. So some patients who actually have an acute lung injury may also require more supplemental oxygen and may need more supportive care, may need low tidal volume ventilation, and even PEEP. So you may actually see some of these patients being admitted to an ICU because they've been down for a long time. Yeah. Now let's talk about, so step one should be airway and breathing. I think that's, you and I both agree with that. Step one, airway and breathing. Step two is all about the Narcan. Any patient who presents with signs of opioid overdose which we've already mentioned, or when this is suspected, should be treated with the opiate antagonist drug naloxone. The endpoint of naloxone therapy should be the restoration of adequate spontaneous ventilation, but not necessarily fully awake. That is so important. Right? Make them breathe, but don't put them through withdrawal. (laughs) Absolutely not. And you can give it sub-Q or intravenously every two to three minutes. And most patients respond with the return of spontaneous respirations and minimal withdrawal symptoms. Now, opiate-naive patients may be given starting doses of up to 2 milligrams without concern of precipitating withdrawal symptoms. But let me say that. Opiate- naive patients. So that's the procedural sedation that you accidentally gave gave 250 of fentanyl. Exactly. They stopped breathing. You can just give them two Two. milligrams of Narcan. You're not going to withdraw them. They've only ever had a dose. Exactly. Very different than. Yeah, exactly. Somebody who has been using quite a bit. I know that there are other um, regimes out there starting at 0.4 milligrams and increasing the dose every two to three minutes so that we don't bring the patient out of their high too rapidly. I'm a bit old school. That was an old thing that we used to do when we, people came in with an altered level of consciousness. We weren't sure. So we gave two milligrams. They'd wake up and we think, oh, okay. We know, what, why, we know why you're here why, now. Exactly. Um, and I guess the reason to start low is that you don't want to induce withdrawal, which although isn't life-threatening, it's not very kind to both the patient and the healthcare staff. And also be aware that vomiting often occurs with opioid withdrawal. And if your patient isn't quite conscious, now we're dealing with an aspiration issue. 
So and the, and and the vomiting always presents itself with the sitting bolt upright, upright. and exactly. then vomiting. So you aren't going to avoid it. No, you're not going to be able to get out of the way. <laughs> exactly. So, but you know, if you unfortunately have given too many, don't worry. The withdrawal symptoms will usually subside within the hour. But then it's a, a very terrible one hour for yes. all of us. I think at the end of the day, dosing likely needs to be dependent on the patient's clinical presentation and the history of the likelihood that this is an opiate overdose. Of note, what has been truly alarming with the recent overdose deaths is the amount of Narcan or naloxone that has been needed. So perhaps we should look at specific considerations with fentanyl, understanding that drugs today may have some fentanyl mixed in. Okay. So does the treatment of fentanyl overdose differ from other opioids? And the answer is yes. While the the treatment of patients is essentially the same as for other opioids, fentanyl has some unique characteristics that you should be aware of and you may have to change your treatment plan Mm -hmm. based on it. So larger doses of naloxone may be required for reversal of fentanyl overdoses. Although standard doses should be given initially, sometimes up to 12 milligrams has been required in some patients. And I, I've, I always say it when I teach, if you're having to open more than three or four vials of something, you're doing the math wrong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I, I recently had a patient that I had to uh, give 10 milligrams of, of Narcan to, and all we had were the 0.4 milligram per mil amps. We didn't have the 2 milligram per mil amps. And so... That's a lot. Yes. That is 26 or something. Oh, my goodness. Ampules. Well, when you're opening that many, you really should be slowing down yeah. and thinking, what am I doing here? Well, unfortunately, with this patient population, that's actually sometimes the right thing to do. So, yeah, you are going to open a 1,000 amps and drop the one cc out of each one. Um, but still go forward in your career with the, when I'm opening more than three or four vials of something, I better do the math again. Absolutely. When fentanyl is administered intravenously in therapeutic doses, the duration of action is relatively short. Yeah. Uh, and we, we've probably all given fentanyl for pain. Yeah. However, in overdose situations, the duration is much longer. It could be 24 to 72 hours, um, which also includes the methadone and the buprenorphine yeah. overdoses. Um which ironically is the treatment for opiate dependency. Yeah. In general, some uh, the effect of most opioids is four hours or less, but some may last significantly longer. And I think that's really important, right? Because the fentanyl is lasting, people who use fentanyl a lot, it's lasting a lot longer. So you are having to think about some special considerations when you're giving Narcan in this group. And, this, and I think you're going to talk about that. Yeah, right? and this is also the reason when I manage these patients, I don't wake them up mm, with no. the Narcan. I get them breathing again and leave them quite sedated because if you wake them up, the first thing they're going to do is pull their IV out and say, I'm out of here. Yeah. And true with heroin, actually, they'll probably be fine. Yeah. Because the Narcan will stick around until the heroin would have peaked anyway. But with these other drugs, that's not the case. The Narcan's going to be gone in an hour. Yeah. The drug's sticking around for a few days. Yes. Or at least more than an hour. And they're going to now be unconscious again. Absolutely. And so that's actually a a problem we're experiencing in our pre-hospital work here now that everyone in the world is giving Narcan. The ambulance is showing up to a fully awake person and refusing treatment which we've dealt with with diabetics for years, and we've all got our little ways of talking them into the ambulance. Mm -hmm. But now you're dealing with the uh, drug-addicted, narcotic overdose, uh, opioid overdose, sorry, who is refusing care. And you know that the Narcan's going to be gone soon. So it's becoming a new sales pitch that uh, we weren't used to. Hmm. So as I said, the duration of Narcan is 30 to 90 minutes. It peaks at about 45 minutes, and uh, 
patients should be observed after this time frame for resedation. Mm-hmm. Patients who've taken longer acting opioids may require further IV bolus doses or an infusion. And that's really where we're going with some of these is a Narcan infusion, which again is opening a whole lot of vials that you think I'm mixing this wrong. <laughs> and then we titrate that to the smallest effect we can. Yes. Just keep you breathing, wake up when I yell at you, but not bouncing around the bed and that kind of thing. Seems like a key thing we keep saying, isn't yeah. it? That we shouldn't give so much that they're wide awake, just enough that they're breathing that enough. They're breathing and ventilating. Mm-hmm. They're well. Their CO2 is normal. Their SATs are okay. And, and you're safe. Yeah. Because that's the other thing. A lot of you work in small places. You, the physician may go home. You may be by yourself. You don't want this person waking up and running around your emergency department with Absolutely. just you chasing them. Uh All patients should be monitored for recurrence of signs and symptoms of toxicity for at least four hours from the last dose of Narcan or discontinuation of the infusion. So they need to come to hospital, right? That's part of that best practice from the British Medical Journal. Okay, the last word about Narcan. Remember that your patient who has an altered LOC may have a drug overdose, but don't, don't forget to cast a wide net. It's very easy when someone comes in who is an opioid dependent person who has a decreased level of consciousness who wakes up with a bit of Narcan, because they always will, if they're always opioid intoxicated, Mm -hmm. you are going to get some effect from some Narcan. But cast a wide net. These people still need you to screen them for sepsis, screen them for meningitis. Absolutely. uh, Possibly other drugs. Electrolyte imbalance. Don't be the nurse who just goes down this opioid intoxication road, and two hours later they're... Uh, lactate is 13 and their pH is 6 and you're killing them because they're in sepsis and you didn't notice that. So don't don't glom onto that. Save their life with Narcan and then cast a wide net. You should always be doing blood work on these people. A lot mm-hmm. of them will get head CT scans just to make sure that they haven't had a bleed, that kind of thing, because a lot of them when they overdose fall as well. So just don't get in that trap. I think some of us have used Narcan actually to rule out. To rule out things. Yeah, yeah exactly. You give Narcan to someone and they don't wake up. Yeah. Then you should like, be thinking well, of alternate diagnosis. I guess. And maybe we'll give more, 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 more. Yeah. If it's yeah. not working like you think it should, yeah. you should be looking for some other things. And my understanding is naloxin uh, is not dangerous if you're giving it to somebody who that's not what No, it's an is. antagonist, right? right? So it binds to the opioid receptor. That's all it does. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like atropine, right? Yeah. It binds and blocks parasympathetic tone, but you give lots and lots of it. Once you're fully blocked, you're fully blocked. Yeah. Same with Narcan. Once you're fully blocked on the receptors, you can keep giving more. There's no more receptors to block, and it'll just get peed out. So it's it's not, you can't overdose someone on an antagonist agent no. like Narcan. Yeah. Exception to the overdose is buprenorphine, a long-acting opioid partial agonist. I think that that's more in the United States. I do know quite yeah. a few of um, our listeners listen from the United States, and I do know that they either give people methadone, methadone. or this drug. Okay, and yeah. so this would go for methadone as well, yeah. which is a long-acting opioid agonist yeah. as well. Uh, it has higher affinity for the opioid receptors than other opioids, and Narcan just may not be as effective because if, if it's already bound to the opioid receptor, Narcan has to like fight it off and then block it. Yeah. So if it's gonna if it's glommed on there real well, Narcan may not do its mm-hmm. thing. Right. In all cases, maintaining airway breathing circulation should be enough to prevent the complications and should be given priority. Yeah. It, it the, this drug does not cure the opioid this drug just blocks it you can do the same thing breathing for this person if you have no narcan you can save just as many lives as if you do have narcan by opening their airway and breathing for them and that's such an important thing i see it every day clinically that 
nurses are running around trying to drop the Narcan. It's mm-hmm. like, you know what? The Narcan can wait six hours if we need to. If exactly. all you can do is hold their airway open and beg them to keep them alive until someone else comes along, the Narcan is basically just auto-bagging them for you exactly. when you wake them up. And so step it's one is airway and breathing. Step That's one is airway and breathing. Exactly. Don't forget that, guys. So let's just talk about a couple of special considerations in kids and in the elderly. In children with opioid overdoses, you will see a delayed onset of toxicity and then all of a sudden a severe poisoning um, effects or prolonged toxic effects. And this is related to the different ways that children metabolize drugs. They have a higher rate of drug absorption, distribution into their central nervous system, and metabolism that differs from adults. So it's not the same predictable course that you might see in adults. Children who are three years of age or younger who've been exposed to any opioid analgesic should be admitted for a 24-hour observation period, even if they can't confirm that they've taken the drugs. Children who ingest opioid formulations often inject a higher dose than adults per kilogram of body weight and therefore require larger doses of Narcan to reverse the effects. Elderly also have increased susceptibility to opioid effects and should be watched closely. They often have a coexisting condition like renal insufficiency or COPD or sleep apnea that might add to the effects of opioids on breathing. They have age-related changes in their physiology, decreased stroke volume, diminished hepatic blood flow, and in body composition, which leads to reduced binding of the drug to the plasma proteins, which may cause this unexpected or persistent intoxication. And this may also account for some of the Narcan failure in that group to reverse those cases of intoxication. Well, so let's talk about some of the pitfalls. I'm going to talk about five of them here. Don't forget that Narcan has a transient duration of action. So patients may have a recurrence of their respiratory depression. Don't forget that. The drug may last longer than the Narcan does. Don't assume that the dose of Narcan that is needed to restore respiration correlates at all with the severity of the intoxication. There is no correlation. If you needed 0.1 to come back to life or 10, has no correlation to how How bad their overdose was. Exactly. Uh, Some patients with opioid dependence require lower initial doses of the antidote, but often require another dose. Just basically make sure you monitor these people closely and don't walk in with any prejudgments. Every patient's different getting this drug. Peak plasma opioid concentrations are not correlated with the greatest degree of respiratory depression. So it doesn't mean you stop breathing at the peak time of drug effect. There's, There's just no... A relation to any of yeah. this it's unpredictable so they could stop breathing at any time mm-hmm. often overdoses are multi-drug overdoses don't forget that so don't forget to look for other drugs yeah, particularly exactly. acetaminophen mm-hmm. they take oxycoset of which yeah. the oxycodone part is the narcotic if they take enough of it they've also taken a heck of a lot of, of tylenol yeah. which is the coset part of oxycoset so exactly. think about that okay so do a urine drug screen add in alcohol, ASA, acetaminophen levels. It's just, again, casting that wide net. Because really, if you don't find that they have a Tylenol overdose early on, that's when the best intervention happens. So right. you've kind of got this person now with liver failure on top of everything else. Right. So yeah, absolutely important for you to remember. Uh, and don't forget that the children and the elderly have different pharmacokinetic findings than in adults. So they should have a longer observation period. So we want to just talk a little bit, a final word about harm reduction. The BC Centre for Disease Control has distributed about 10,000 free Narcan kits. More than 1,400 people um, have been used to help people 
um, from being wow, overdosed. Wow, so they've, they've, died, they've sent out 10,000 and 1,400 have been used already. Yeah, exactly. And about 9,000 people have been trained to administer the antidote through a provincial health reduction program called Toward the Heart. And several hospital emergency departments are discharging high-risk patients with Narcan kits in this whole take-home naloxone program. I think what Landon has uh, mentioned earlier, though, is please be aware that part of the teaching really is, despite the fact that you've used Narcan, the patient is now breathing, it is important that there is close monitoring. So please call 911, get the patient to the hospital Huge as well. Huge message. Yeah. yeah. Global, globally, access to naloxone is generally limited to health professionals. In many countries, there's still limited availability of naloxone, even in medical settings, including ambulances. Many countries, including Canada, taking a lead from Italy, have, has made naloxone available in pharmacies without prescription. Although of note, at the moment, the cost is a bit prohibitive, at least here in B.C., a number of countries and jurisdictions have also adopted a policy of providing uh, naloxone to people at risk of opiate overdose as well as to people likely to witness an overdose. And this has been in place actually in Scotland since 2011 and a number of jurisdictions in the United States. Ireland has also announced this as a national policy. An evaluation of the impact of that policy in Scotland, which included people leaving prison as a target population, found that the proportion of opioid overdoses occurring within four weeks of leaving prison has halved since the introduction of naloxone. Now, since most overdoses are witnessed by a friend or a family member, if a friend or family member had access to naloxone, he or she may be able to reverse the effects of opioid overdoses while waiting for medical care to arrive. I can't stress that enough. Uh, naloxone administered by bystanders is a life-saving emergent interim response, but it should not be a substitute for getting patients to comprehensive medical care. Encourage patients if they are going to use, don't use alone, start with more small doses, learn about Narcan, get to a hospital after using Narcan. Absolutely. And BC now that through the College of Pharmacists is just now uh, further deregulated naloxone uh, that they can, a pharmacist and, and nurses through extension can now give it to a family member mm-hmm. of someone who, because it, up until then it had to be the patient themselves wanted it, it was prescribed to the patient, and now it's a little more accessible, much yeah. like epinephrine is for anaphylaxis. And so um, that's something that just in the last month has really helped in BC with getting the take-home naloxone program. Up and running, yeah. Doing better. So... In summary, fentanyl is alive and well. It is in many different drugs on the street, particularly OxyContin. Narcan is saving lives. Number three, Narcan has a transient mechanism of action. So monitor them, readminister, get an infusion started if you don't want this up and down. Yeah. Right? Much easier. Number four, children and the elderly need closer and longer monitoring. And five, harm reduction measures need to be supported while we look at measures to curtail the rise in opioid dependence globally. Mm-hmm. Very interesting co- topic. Today. It is a little yeah. long this time, but yeah. I think uh, it's timely, timely and something I know I learned a lot in, in reading about this mm-hmm. because it was always just a drug that we had and gave and didn't think why yeah. for a lot of the stuff. And I think seeing the impact of it globally and in our community right now has certainly kind of highlighted those issues, particularly as healthcare professionals teaching people 
um, to take home naloxone and what should we be focusing on? It's been very interesting. Absolutely. And I think that's it for this month. Yes. Thank you very much. And thank my mom for hosting our uh, podcast this month. And she sat there quiet the whole time. I know. She she was able to do that. (laughs) That's it. Finish. No, I won't say that. That's it. I'm done. For past episodes and to comment on this episode, please visit our website at nursum.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education, www.prneducation.ca.